Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 71. Yes, it was worth it because the peace that I feel, that I am my authentic self, is it doesn't compare to anything else that I am me. Kashif Andrew Graham is an outreach librarian for religion and theology at the Vanderbilt Divinity Library in Tennessee. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and Spanish from Cooney Lehman College. He received a Master of Arts in Church Ministry from the Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee. And he's about to graduate in May from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville with a Master of Science in Information Sciences. Uh, I'm so excited to have Kashif on the podcast today. Kashif and I have been friends for for several years when he reached out to me with the question that so many of us have when we're first beginning our coming out journeys of, is it okay to be a gay person of faith? Uh, and from that conversation, uh, we kept in touch. It's been so exciting to watch him go through his coming out journey over the last several years. He gets into that story uh, throughout this podcast. He did want me to mention that he's single. So all you guys out there, check out Kashif. <laughs> In this episode, we talk about Kashif's journey towards coming out and what that was like for him. And then we get into a conversation about the need for diversity within 
our library systems, especially within our theological libraries. And some of the work that Kashif is doing to make that happen uh, is really cool stuff. I, I don't have any announcements for today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Kashif, hi, welcome. Hi, it's finally happening. It is. I'm so excited. <laughs> Same <laughs> Thanks here. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. So, so to start, the question I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? So I identify as, I use the term queer quite often, but uh, cisgender, um, Jamaican-American, I'm okay with African-American, Black. It really depends on the scholarship, okay? Like, I will be anything of those sorts to, if I need to, to get a scholarship. But, um, <laughs> so, it depends. But uh, cisgender, African-American, uh, male, I identify as sort of Pentecostal, charismatic. I still embrace those distinctives. And I think that the way that I would say my faith is really informing um, my identity is this understanding that gender is can be very fluid. Um, and I definitely, this idea of also gender as, you know, on a spectrum, I think that that's something, learning that in seminary, that's, that's something that really moved me. I guess I'm sort of also moving towards gender fluidity. That is sort of forthcoming. So that's how I would say that my faith has has really informed my uh, identity. I mean, I I know that you have been on a journey over the last few years mm-hmm. in coming out mm-hmm. and and like figuring all these things out. You came out while you were in seminary. Yes. Um like and I know little bits of that journey because I feel like we I, I don't know if I can say we walked together on we that. Did. But <laughs> you were there. You were th- I emailed you and like, yeah, you were there. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Claim it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but I would love to hear some of that story and and I mean what that experience has been like and kind of and then where you are now. Um, because yeah. it, it has been a journey. It has been a journey. You know, I left New York in 2014 to go to a seminary, a Pentecostal seminary. And I was on my way to becoming this really great father, uh, you know, husband. I was driving a, a, a Honda CRV that I almost, I was trying to get the DVD package because I, I was like, you know, within a year, I'm going to have kids, get married, have kids, settle down and be, you know, get a pastorate somewhere. Um, And in the middle of my journey, I really felt, my seminary journey, I felt that things were falling apart. I remember being in a a particular class where the professor started to say, just sort of started preaching in class, which happened a lot. And she was saying, you know, you feel faithless. You feel that you your faith is being deconstructed. My message for you today is stay at the tomb. Stay at the tomb. And I, I took that to heart. It really, it really moved me. So I, I stayed there and I started to ask more questions. Actually, I'll tell you this. This will give you, this, you'll get a kick out of this. This will give you a kick. It was actually one night I was working at the library and it was very slow. And I was friends with uh, Jonathan Martin on Facebook. And I saw, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed 
Um, of course, he has proximity. Jonathan Martin has proximity to or relationship with some of the the Church of God uh, churches, and he went to the Pentecostal Theological Seminary, which is where uh, I went. And I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and I saw some that someone had tagged him in something that I thought looked didn't fit the the image of the the people that I thought he associated with. Again, you have to remember that at that point in my journey, I was still not really thinking in a very broad way. Still what I call, uh, I was still claiming some sort of deliverance from quote unquote homosexuality. So that's kind of where I was. And I saw this picture of someone who was thanking him for being, staying with them through their coming out journey. And I looked at this person, I'm like, who is Trey Pearson? Who, who is this? I didn't know who that was. I hadn't listened to K-Love, you know, those, those things in a while, um, and, or CCM music in a while. And uh, I clicked on Trey Pearson's page, and I'm reading this post, and I was horrified. Because <laughs> I thought, this is the worst thing ever. How could you, you know? And I'm, I'm you know, reading through and reading some of his story. And I actually saw your picture. Um, as one of his friends, and I clicked on your page, and I'm, I'm I'm I was looking through. I made it to your website, and my heart is racing at this point. Okay, because I'm thinking it was like looking at like explicit material at work or something. <laughs> because I was thinking somebody is going to walk by and ask me what is on level ground, like what are these things, you know, and they and probably try to pick a fight with me and say it's impossible to be both queer and like it just these things, like it was, these things were all brand new to me. And I remember reading through and like thinking, how could this be possible? I didn't know they were like, I didn't know that there were people who, who, you know, sort of formed a, had formed a community like this. Um, But it was through that, through your website and uh, watching the interview with Garrett Conley, going to read Boy Erased, then, you know, read that in four nights and sobbed. And I read it in my office at Lee and and just, I mean, it was really pulling things apart for me because even though I hadn't gone to conversion therapy formally, a lot of the rhetoric that people used in my church, you know, to try to help me, quote unquote, that was, that was the language of conversion therapy. So getting to, you know, listening to, to the podcast, listening to uh, interviews and reading really brought me to a place where I started to ask a lot more questions. And I was still going uh, to a, a a counselor at the time in Chattanooga. And he, you know, pushed things into this uh, very usual narrative that I had lacked uh, contact with my male counterparts or and, you know, uh, in, in developmental years, and now this desire had become sexualized and yada, yada. He didn't really listen to me, but he told me what I, what I felt like I needed to hear at the time. And it was actually my pastor who was pastoring a very small church in, in Cleveland um, that, you know, was more liturgical. Just, it was, it was him. Who, when I told him that I was going to this counselor, he was trying to get me to see someone else. And he was saying, you know, this person doesn't have to be a person of faith. Let's not be too quick to put a label on things. Because, you know, I had come up to him um, afterwards and said, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm I'm all I'm good to go. I'm ready, I'm ready to get married. And 
he was like, let's let's hold on. Let's not put a label on this. Let's let's press into things. And he was one of the first people that actually was engaging me and encouraging me to keep seeking uh, the answer to my question. Is it possible to be both queer and a Christian? That was the sort of prevailing question for me uh, to the, uh, about 2015, 2016. So I, I started, you know, I kept doing more uh, reading and trying to find people to converse with. You were actually one of the few because there was no one in my community. I mean, I didn't know who those, I didn't know where to find them. Uh, I was in a very conservative Southern town. Just, I didn't know. And getting to uh, talk to to my pastor, who was sort of like secretly affirming, um, there was another faculty member, and they were the first people that I came out to when I sort of said, I think I'm ready. I think that this is, I think that this is it for me, and this is my identity. And I'll tell you this too. I remember going to dinner uh, at this restaurant in Cleveland where a lot happened, and maybe we'll touch on that uh, in our conversation today. But I had dinner with him, and I couldn't say the words to him. I wanted desperately to say, this is what I'm dealing with. Because I was struggling, Matthias, with, with such a great depression. There was so much that I, I, I didn't know. What would this look like? Could, could I have a successful life? I mean, there were no examples. Like, I just... I had nothing really. And I sat there across from him at that table and I struggled. It's like the words were in my mouth, but I, they couldn't escape. And he said them, he said, he, he said it, you know, you're, you're trying to navigate and figure out what to do. You want to do the right thing. And he said to me, you know, there are bounds, but the bounds are not nearly as narrow as we have defined them. And he was he was the second person in Cleveland that I, that I came out to. So, you know, I then started coming out very slowly to some of my dearest friends. One of my friends in Cleveland, who is an, an engineer, um, I came out to her at breakfast and she was so supportive the, the my pastor and this faculty member, they, but they were only, they could only be secretly supportive. Otherwise they would lose their jobs, you know? So I came out to, to them. And then, as, as you saw, in December of 2017, I wrote on my blog the, the, just the most controvers- controversial post or thing I had ever posted on social media, which was, um, yes, I'm gay. That was the title of the, the post. And I posted that at night. Uh, so I, 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 it took a while. I felt like it was the time to do it. Um, I felt like it was the next right move. And so I posted and I went to bed and I got up the next morning and, you know, it was a mixed review. And, and, and mind you, at this point in time, all of the people from my childhood Jamaican church, from the church that I left in 2014, were all still on my Facebook. So they all saw the post. And many of them decided to write very divisive things. And people showed it to my parents. I had written, by the way, uh, to my parents um, uh, about two weeks earlier and, and told them. And, you know, my mom decided not to, to respond, uh, which that didn't really surprise me. But it was a very painful journey, I think, for them. But people, everybody saw it from my church. And, uh, but I wanted them to because this was now my declaration 
that this is who I am. And I believe that God, not only, uh, I moved from this sense of the, do you approve of me, God, to I am made in, in your image and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If, if you, if we can sort of take the, take that evangelical, uh, <laughs> motto, but, but, you know, taking that and I think moving to a place of, uh, self-affirmation that I made in God's image. I think that that was, uh, that was key for me. So that's why I posted that for everybody to see. There were many people, you know, the, the episode where you were talking to Jennifer Knapp and, and, and she was saying that she couldn't suffer the people that she had been with before. She just couldn't suffer them. I understood that. And I felt like that was what I went through. I couldn't suffer some of the people. So some of the people that were around me when I made my, wrote my coming out post, they never said anything, you know, and silence ended up being uh, their statement that they were non-affirming, but didn't really know how to say it, didn't really know how to tell me or opted not to, or maybe felt that somehow I just would never, it would never come up, you know, but in my inner circle, I didn't need silence. I needed my community to, to rush towards me and say, we love you. We we celebrate you. We celebrate all of you. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> like first, congratulations. That's. I mean, thank you. Thank I think you. coming out anytime someone comes out is is worth celebrating and celebrating again and again and again because yes, it is such a huge thing to to say to the world. This is me. Yeah. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, congratulations! And I mean, you mentioned this this need to have community mm-hmm. rush towards us mm-hmm. and and say we affirm you, we we love you, we want you here. When we were talking a little bit earlier before we started recording, you also mentioned some of the challenges in finding community, living in the South, being a black man, coming out as gay, like that all presents some challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, how, how was that? Did you have a community who came rushing towards you? You know, I, I didn't, which was pretty tough. For a while, I felt like it was just me, even though it wasn't. There were people, there were some people, um, a few. So I'd like to, let me just highlight that. You know, my younger sister has been one of the most supportive I mean, I remember where I was. I was cleaning my bathroom in Cleveland when I sort of, this is before my post, when I told her and I was ready to sort of say goodbye. I honestly was because that is the culture that I come from. A very, you know, Jamaican, West African um, culture where Caribbean, West African culture, where it's, it's people leave. You know, it's you, you forsake family and follow Christ. That is the doctrine. So I was very much prepared for my sister, my younger sister, to to reject me and that that would be it for us. And she shocked me by being so supportive. And so really I felt like, you know, I was so thankful to have her in my camp. Um, so all of the, you know, the professor that I told you about, the pastor, um, my dear, my dearest engineering friend, that was wonderful that they were already, there were a few people. So I felt like if anything, I would have them. But after my my coming out post, you know, the people that I had that had been my community were all you know, very conservative, non-affirming, and they still, I think, wanted to be in my life. But I kind of had to say, 
you can be here, but you're not going to be in my inner circle because just this is not what I need right now. I don't need people to tell me um, we see we see beyond, we see all of you, we see beyond this. No, I need you to see this. I need you to see my sexuality and love and and not only accept but celebrate it with me. I don't need you to see ever. I need you to see this. You know, people try to use that as a cop out. Oh, we. I see you beyond. I see you in your whole. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> No, you don't. See this. Look at this. This is what I'm showing you. Look at this. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of had to really, had to challenge people. I feel like in the South, you know, I live in Nashville now, which is a a very, it's it's a burgeoning city. Uh, It seems like everybody and their mom is moving to Nashville. Um, But things still really fall along racial lines here. And I, I remember writing this post on my, or posting this on, on Instagram, that it was like being in a house or being outside of a house and looking in through the window and seeing all of the queers, if you will, all of the gay folk, seeing all of, seeing people that I should be with maybe, seeing them in the house. I knew where they were, but I didn't know how to find them. That was the way that I put it. I didn't know how to reach them. I didn't know how to touch them, how to make connection. And I remember, you know, even posting on, there was this uh, sort of secret Facebook page that I was a part of um, that many people from a previous organization that I belong to were on that page as well. And whenever people move to new cities, they post and say, hey, I'm in, you know, uh, Seattle. Are there any people here just to get start to get to know people? So I'd seen other people do it, and I did it as well. When I moved to Nashville, I thought, this is great. I'm going to at least get to connect with some people. I just, it was kind of a challenge for me to see, you know, I could see how many people had seen my post and didn't respond that lived in Nashville. So that was a big challenge for me because I was trying to reach out and make connections. And I know, sort of looking at things now, I think that, Many of those people have experienced or are experiencing the same thing that I am and are not yet at the place to be able to reach out and invite others, that they're still looking for community, a community of their own. Maybe that's it. I don't know. So, it, it, you know, it's definitely, um, it has been a very, very uh, challenging experience and I didn't really have that community rush towards me. I would say that I have sort of friends in pockets, which I really celebrate that I'm finally, you know, meeting people uh, in different in different places, whether it's at the Vanderbilt uh, Divinity School, where there are so many great people uh, that I'm getting to connect with finally at church, which I don't go regularly because it's a the church that I've been, um, sp- you know, sparingly attending is... It's a it's a progressive church, but it isn't very diverse, and so that's been a challenge for me. Um, but but there are people there that I know as well. And then on campus at Vanderbilt, there is the Casey Potter Center, which was a great resource to me because I didn't know where else to find people, so I just walked in there. That the Casey Potter Center is the office of LGBTQIA plus life, so walking in there and getting just sitting down with one or two people 
the director, the assistant director, and just talking to them, that was also very, very helpful when I moved here, just to talk about like anxieties. But I think I'm at a much better place now going to um, different socials and, you know, but a large part of the, the challenge has been, I am not someone who frequents clubs. So there's play, there are other gay clubs and, and bars in Nashville. I'll go, but that's not my home. I don't feel at home there. So that sometimes presents an additional challenge because you kind of go, where am I supposed to meet queer folks otherwise, you know? So that's kind of been my challenge. A part of, I think, my calling, though, is to pioneer a community. Uh, my name also, Kashif, means discoverer, it means revealer, it means the one who knows things that other people do not know. I particular, particularly like that uh, definition. Uh, <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it also means pioneer. And I think perhaps that's something that I will do is to you know pioneer a community of sorts. I don't know quite what that will look like, but that I think is is definitely um, in the horizon for me. I mean, you just started a new job mm -hmm. as a librarian, as a theological librarian. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, another thing that we were talking about a little bit was was this quest that you you're kind of on to start creating more diversity within theological libraries, um, and and then the challenges that you're running into with that. Could you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I think that, and I can answer that sort of in a twofold way. I'll say, I'll just speak to, you know, diversity in librarianship is also, is particularly challenging. Um, you know that, I mean, you, what comes to mind? What is that? Con I, I don't know what your experience has been like with librarians, with libraries, but for many people, I used to work at a library. Oh, wonderful! So. <laughs> okay, you gold star, gold star. Okay, great, excellent. I did, I did not know that, so this is wonderful. Um, so, so okay, so you have a, a little bit of a, a leg up at least in, in looking at this. But you know, <laughs> librarianship, libraries, especially academic librarianship, is still almost ninety percent white, and libraries are dominated by, in terms of staffing, middle-aged white females. And it presents a challenge when we are sort of trying, we're trying to serve a student body and there's really only one demographic of people. Um, so, you know, of course, there's the American Library Association, the um, ACRL, um, American College and Research Libraries, like they have their initiatives, diversity initiatives, that some of them are problematic, that's fine. But they're trying. There are efforts being made to diversify library and information sciences. But you can imagine. Then, I mean, I've read a wealth of articles um, of people of color that work in libraries, and they talk about the microaggressions, the challenges in um, that they feel that things are more about a cultural currency. In the same way that you know Austin Channing Brown talks about this in "I'm Still Here." that everybody, most people in the room can relate to one thing and the other people who don't get that are left out and people just assume that their experience is universal. That's definitely a big challenge in libraries. But speaking to um, theological librarianship, I think, and even in this collection, this is what I'm going to spend um, this year, the rest of this year doing, is building a collection of 
homiletics and pastoral care and pastoral uh, practical uh, theology resources for queer people who are preparing to minister to other queer people. And, and let me just say also, I use the, the term queer to sort of encompass everyone or many people in the community. So I hope that's not um, offensive to anyone, but that that's how I use that. So let, let me just, I'll phrase it like this also. Resources for LGBTQIA plus people who are preparing to minister to LGBTQIA plus people and, and beyond, really. And we need more, uh, you know, marriage and family therapy, relationship resources for us, for, for our community. The, you know, we don't have enough. A lot of what you'll find in theological libraries are apologetics, you know, writings, queer readings of, of sermons and scriptures and the scriptures and things like this, writings in defense of. But we need more tools, I would say, to enrich as we go out into the field and work. So I'm going to be building that collection uh, at Vanderbilt. And just from, I'll tell you from my few days of having started and looking, it's, it's, it's going to present, you know, there's going to be quite a challenge, but it definitely can be done. But so my, this message is also to everyone that's listening. More people need to be writing on this. I mean, I, I, we just don't have enough. And it's a burgeoning field. Of course, we have um, works like Modern Kinship, which just came out. Um, very excited about that. So we need more. We need more. And I look forward to, for uh, the, the furtherance of this year, that's what I'll be, I'll be working on. Um, and doing more things like this, podcasts and interviews. So, yeah. yeah. That's just so exciting to even know, like, there's just even one seminary out there <laughs> where someone is doing this work. Like, yes. I'm sure there are others, too. But it highlights that, the truth that we don't have enough of those resources. Like, I, I think that's something that we've spent so long on, as you said, like, the apologetics conversations, which obviously has been needed. <laughs> right, right. Because that that, this is how we got to where we are today. Right. And, like, I think as so many queer people are starting to, to realize, like, wait a second, like, the apologetics maybe aren't changing things as much as we want them to. Mm-hmm. I feel like some of my work has, has shifted to, well, we need to minister to each other. Yes. Like, we are, we are our people. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so all that to say, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I look forward to, I mean, I may have to sort of, toss my hat in because it's ne- we really need it. You know, uh, I mean, this brings me also to the conversation about the theological librarian. I view theological librarianship as ministry because I'll tell you, when I left seminary, I was devastated. And I remember Matthias standing outside at the back of the library and it was, it was summer. I remember it being very hot. And I was on the phone with my mother at the time and telling her that I was thinking about becoming a librarian. And she was like, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, uh, yes, this is, you know, I feel like, you know, this is the next, maybe the next right move. But I, I would say I was devastated because there had been a whole community of people that were really, quote, rooting for me, rooting for what they wanted from me, and were expecting me to return and take up some sort of leadership position uh, in, in that church. So, when I was leaving seminary, I, I thought, well, I'm done. I can't get credentials because I'll, before my coming out post, I'm sort of jumping back a little bit. But before my coming out post, I had posted some things on Instagram 
with the, the hashtag faithfully LGBT, and some people saw it. So then rumors started to circulate and people were talking. That was sort of a feature statement of, I think, of 2017. People are talking. Um, so I knew that I was not going to be able to get credentials in that denomination. That was sort of over for me. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, imagine spending so much time preparing for ministry and then basically it's like you can't minister here. So moving into theological librarianship for me has been, it is, a, is an act of moving into ministry. And the way that I look at it is because I remember how heavy the, the texts were, how heavy the conversations were, how weighty, if you will. I almost view my calling as being ubiquitous to the research and, and writing process. So I will help you find and give you the resources. But I'm there, I want to be there, and I'm, I'm there with you in the middle as you navigate and figure out what does this mean, as you stand at the tomb, as you struggle, and maybe something will be rebuilt, maybe something will be revived, maybe it won't. But as you, as you wrestle with the text, um, I want to be there. I feel like my job as a minister is to carry, to be there. And then, as, of course, in the, in the process, the end game, which is not the end game, but which maybe is a new beginning, but the process of, of writing, of course, and offering, I mean, basic things like Zotero and citation help and um, all of those things and, and helping people with style and clarity and yada, yada. But being ubiquitous to the research process, that, that so, you know, um, I definitely view my, my job uh, as, or what I do every day as ministry. You know, that to me that, that that's critical. And this is a way of reconciling my deep sense of being called into ministry, being called into uh, some sort of pastoral ministry. I, I almost see myself as sort of a <laughs> pastor of the students and the books. <laughs> um, but that is how I'm living out. That is how I'm living out my calling. So I'm I'm my I'm sort of, you know putting out the Macedonian call that we need more resources because there are going to be more of us that are ministering as we minister to each other. And let's face it, mainstream culture is just now getting on board with us being here. And, but we have to provide, we need to create the resources that we, that we need. I mean, it, it's, it's, that's what we need to do. We have to take care of each other. So this, I see writing a book on, um, that is some sort of resource for LGBTQA plus people that are going into ministry. I see that as caring for your brother and your sister and your non-binary um, uh, sibling, if you will. So, yeah, I, I think we definitely need more of those of those resources. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I feel like something that I see see you doing often on Instagram is is your poetry i feel like it would be remiss to not talk about my poetry, your poetry. <laughs> well because that's i don't know i don't know if we can describe poetry as a resource per se mm. but it certainly is a, a capturing of an experience in ways that i don't think almost anything else can do um yeah your, your poetry is is stunning and i'd love to maybe hear more about how that art form I, I, I guess I don't really know how to finish that question. I'd love to hear more about that art form. Well, you know what? I think I will tell you how it developed for me and how it, um, how, why, I, why it's, it has stayed with me. 
I think that, first of all, the typewriters, you know, I collect typewriters and um, that's a story in and of itself in that my, well, actually, hey, you you probably will want to hear this story. Everybody, <laughs> every, to everyone listening across the globe. Um, so basically I was having a Kurt Cameron in a fi- in fireproof moment. Did you see the movie Fireproof? Oh yeah, unfortunately. Where, where he broke his computer. Because he uh-huh. didn't want to look at porn anymore. Hello, yeah. I'm raising. I'm raising my hand. Is there anybody else in the room today? Yeah, that was me. So I had my little. Um, I had a little netbook, a little HP netbook. It was like navy blue, and I broke it because I thought this is this is my act of defiance, you know, from the, to Satan. Like I will not be bound by these things anymore. And so I threw it away, um, and I went to church. Uh, that the next week, and I made an announcement that if anyone had any typewriters, that I wanted to use a typewriter, and they should let me know. And of course, everyone laughed at me. All of the Jamaicans with their sarcasm, like you know, they thought it was ridiculous and laughed. <laughs> so that was that for a few hours, and then I was at work later, and something I don't know just came back to me to call my godmother. So I called her, and she sure enough had a typewriter in her in her closet and so she gave it to me uh a 1971 olympia sm9 it's uh cream a sort of a beige creamy color and that was the first typewriter that i had and i started to write the poems that i had been handwriting for a number of years that when i would sit in class and something would just sort of come to me i just would write it the poetry what it developed into. So I guess my computer breaking thing ended up being not so bad after all. Of course, I have a, a MacBook today that I will not break. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, 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 fireproof. But, you know, so I that's how I started collecting typewriters. And when I moved to Cleveland, um, to Tennessee, I started collecting, just driving to these little sort of country city, little back cities, um, Sweetwater and Lenore City and all along East Tennessee. Uh, and I would find these typewriters and I just purchased them for not that much and clean them up, learned how to do that. And I started to write poetry that I would post on Instagram. So my poems are really, I, I look at it as sort of flash poetry, that it's a, just a very quick, emotionally heavy scene. Um, that will do, you know, is related to something that people could read and go, oh my God, I get that. I get that. In the same way that when you're podcasting, when you're, when you're interviewing people, there are people that are listening and going, yes, that is exact. That was my experience. Yes. That there's someone else in the world that understands at the very least what I'm going through. And so my reason for writing is, is that um, I write about the spiritual journeys. You know, there, there was a poem that I wrote, I will always drive the back roads for there I met the Lord. That's what happened. I was driving on the back, road, the back roads from Cleveland to Knoxville. And with the tears streaming down my face, God, will you still love me? What's the next right move? Should I should I tell people or are you okay with this? Those were all the questions in my mind. And I felt on the back roads, the love of God, the assurance that I would be okay, even though there was still great anxiety, that somehow if I, if I, if I made a move forward for truth, that the universe would respond to me, that I would be okay. And I discovered that on the back roads. You know, for me, this idea 
I don't even talk in terms of, you know, being saved and so on and so forth. But that was a salvific experience, I dare to say, driving on the back roads. So all, my poetry is all about that. Um, my process of coming out, I think, yes, I wrote, you know, I had my post that everybody saw. But I think it was really creeping out, <laughs> you know, because I was talking to people. I my emailing you. Um, and I have to say this really publicly before your audience today. Um, thank you for responding to my email. That made, I, look, look, look at where we are a number of years later, 2019. And now I'm here as an influencer in a different capacity. But, but imagine you responded and I shall never, never forget that because I was at a place where I was looking and there was nobody that I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know where to turn. I, there was, I mean, there was, this was just something that nobody was talking about. And no one in my, you know, general area was really helpful to me. Um, so, you know, when I talk about my process of coming out, it was definitely creeping out. I emailed you, which was really me admitting to myself that I was not in a good place and that I really, you know, that I needed to ask myself some pretty tough questions. Um, and all of the poems that I was posting that was also my coming out. That's the reason that I used the hashtag faithfully LGBT because I knew that people would see it, that there would be people, the nosy people. I knew that they would see it and that they would go and, you know, um, I didn't anticipate that as many people as found out would, but you know, that's fine. Um, so it was definitely a process of me, I think, creeping out. The other thing I would say too, it, it, it demonstrates growth. I mean, there's a poem that I archived, but I, um, that, that basically I was talking about, and I used the term, the transgendered God, because I didn't know. I thought that that was the, that was the thing. To, I, I, I thought that that was correct, so to speak. And when I learned, which was, you know, a long time later, I went back and of course archived, but, but it, it really marks my growth, learning and beginning to talk to people. I will also say that you know, it was a remarkable journey, the way in which I feel that the universe, that God is always placed, if you will, that people, um, when I finally, even when it seems like it's sparse, there, there's somebody getting to talk to Laura Beth, you know, Laura mm, Beth yes. and, and you connected us and that yeah. in Cleveland, that was, that was an, I just remember sitting at Starbucks and going, is this really happening? You know, because the year before I was down at the altar speaking in tongues and laying hands on people. Okay. And, and there was not a, a, a question of, you know, I would go, what gay and a Christian? How is that possible? You know, that was a different. So I, I just remember sitting there and having such an amazing conversation with Laura. That was, and just knowing, I think at that point, okay, that if anything happens there, there is at least one person that I know. Um, so my poetry really does also reflect the journey, but I am, I am writing poems about feeling lonely because I know that other people uh, like us feel the same thing. And they're just trying to find community and find a place. And even though on the outside, they may look like they're, you know, all happy or that there's many, many, they're still looking. And I think that that's okay. So I write about that to say, hey, I am also looking. I am also seeking. I am not there yet. And I think that people 
at least if we we're going to base things on the likes. Uh, <laughs> I think that people kind of appreciate it. You know, yeah. the last poem that I wrote um, was talking about challenges with my family, just being transparent there. My, you know, a mother, I said in the beginning, a mother once forked me from the river of her fluid, called me Kashif, Kashif, discoverer of hearts. I mean, just the way things sort of happened that I had never anticipated that when I would come out, Matthias, that when I would make a stand and say, this is who I am, uh, I want, I love myself, I'm at a place where I love myself, I love who I am, I am not ashamed. I never anticipated that people in my community would look at my parents and say, you were bad parents. That's why. I never imagined that my parents would hang their heads at church. I don't know why they still choose to go there, but they do, you know. Um, I, but I, I, that was something that I, had ne- I would have never wanted because everything that I had done was really, you know, I did all the right things. I, no, they never asked us whether or not we would go to college. I mean, they just went, okay, where are the applications? What schedule the SATs? Where, you know, every, like it was just assumed. We did all, I did all the right things, my sisters and I. I mean, that's, we just, we quote unquote, did all the right things. I never did anything. I never, I, I tried hard never to do anything to embarrass my parents. But my stand for truth was perceived as my, as, as their bad parenting. And so someone asked me in Cleveland, was it worth it? Can you believe that? Someone actually asked me that. After everything, they said, was it worth it? And I looked at them and said, you, to ask me this question, I, I wondered whether this, the person who was asking ever had to go through anything or share anything that they would potentially be shunned for. I, I mean, I just, and I said to her, yes, yes, it was worth it. Because the peace that I feel, that I am my authentic self, is it doesn't compare to anything else that I am me. And I know now that when there are people that are in my life, that when they're, when they receive me, it's, they're receiving me. They're not receiving, you know, um, a sort of trumped up, oh, I probably shouldn't use that one now. Uh, uh, not, uh, they're not receiving some sort of, uh, you know, uh, um, porcelain image of me. They're receiving me uh, because I'm upfront with who I am. It's like Coramo Brown said, you know, um, you let people, into your house. They're, they're looking at the house. It's not, and if they decide that that's not what they want, they don't have to stay. That's fine. You know? So I do feel the peace that I feel is absolutely worth it. And I can reach out and touch lives and connect with people from a place of authenticity and nothing beats that. I mean, you know, nothing beats that. Nothing beats that. That's so true. Uh, Kashif, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. This has been such a treat. And I, I promise I didn't like have you on the podcast to talk me up. <laughs> oh, well, listen, that's what ended up happening. But people need to know. Because sometimes they're like, should I do the Patreon thing? Should I not? Yes, do it. Do the Patreon thing. Listen, I have more. I ha- Listen, no, this is, this is, you know, when, when you, when you invited me, um, I told my sister and she, cause she, she remembers the whole, all the talking when I was driving um, in my little convertible, which by the way, don't drive 12 hours in a little convertible cause your butt will hurt. <laughs> my butt was hurting. By the time I got to like the Virginias, I was sitting sideways in the seat, but I drove up to New York from Cleveland 12 hours to, to tell my sister, you know, to come out to her, my older sister to come out to her and to come out to some others. I mean, 
So, and I was listening to your podcast. I was listening to A Tiny Revolution. I mean, this is real for me. It, these really helped me. So, yes, I, 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 you didn't invite me here to, to talk to you, but I will accept the uh, Starbucks <laughs> gift card, which I expect in the mail. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But but um, yes, but this is really this has been a pleasure. How how can people find your work? Well, you can find my work. I have a website which is uh, Kashif Andrew Graham. Or let me excuse me. You can visit me on the web at www.kashifandrewgram.com, and uh, of course, there's my Instagram, Kashif Andrew Graham. Um, I have a Twitter. It's like defunct. So like, no. I mean, you can follow me, but I'm really not going to post anything there. So. Uh, my website and um, my uh, my Instagram are going to be the places where you can see my work. Well, thank you again so much for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Thank you, Matthias. Thank you for everything. Really, thank yeah. you. You can find out more about Kashif on his website, kashifandrewgram.com. He's on Instagram at kashifandrewgram. A lot of the people that Kashif mentioned in this interview have their own interviews on queerology, such as Laura Beth Taylor and Trey Pearson. So go check out those episodes. Uh, queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from over 230 Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to support Quirology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and we'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.